Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Have you ever been misquoted? Has anyone ever told people that you said something that you didn't say? Or maybe they twisted something you did say to change the intention or the meaning to make it seem like you said something that you really didn't. We are continuing our series today called Misquoted. And we're going to take a look at a few common ideas that followers of Jesus tend to think that Jesus never really said we should do. Last time we saw that Jesus never said to love only those who agree with you. In fact, not only do we need to love everyone, but those who we disagree with and those who we dislike are the ones we need to show love to the most. Today we're continuing by looking at another common phrase, and here again we'll learn an important truth, because Jesus never said that God helps those who help themselves. Let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. We are continuing in a series called Misquoted. Uh, Jesus said some really important things when he was on earth doing ministry, and the Word of God records those lessons and anointed words from the Son of God. The Word of God never misrepresents or misquotes Jesus. However, humans often do. Am I right? Humans often do. In fact, we get it wrong a lot. (laughs) Sometimes we hear something, we twist it into our own version. We then repeat it as if that's what Jesus said. Other times it's out of ignorance that we believe the misquotes. And sometimes we hear the truth so many times that we then become dull to the power of it. Last week we looked at a misquote in regard to loving our neighbor. And today we are going to explore another misquote. Something that Jesus never ever said is that God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. All right, just prophetically here right now, turn to the person next to you and be like, this one's going to be good. This one's going to be good. All right, Benjamin Franklin is given credit in making this quote famous, but Franklin was actually a deist. He didn't believe in a personal God who's actively involved in the affairs of people, but rather in a God who set the world in motion, but stands at a distance while we fend for ourselves. So not only is this motto not in the Bible, it wasn't even spoken by someone committed to Christian faith or God's character. Interestingly, I did a little research and a variation of this statement is found in a religious text, but it's not the Bible. That text is called the Quran. This is what Muslims read and follow. The Quran states that it expects a person to help himself by changing his own attitude and behavior before God will come to his aid. Wherever this statement came from, whether it was Benjamin Franklin or the Quran, many people mistake or misquote this as scripture because on the surface, it almost sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Right? It almost sounds like a God idea. You might think, if I'm going to come to God for help, I should at least try to help myself first. After all, God is busy. He has a lot of crises to deal with every day. I'll come to him if I can't figure it out. Or maybe you think to yourself, I already came to God for some things, and he's helped me. I don't really want to bother him anymore. He might get tired of me. Or maybe you think God is so holy, he'll never be able to accept me in this condition. I'll just get myself right first. I'll get cleaned up. I'll get my act together. And God will certainly appreciate my effort. And then he will surely help me. I'll prove to him that I can do things, 
that I, I, I can work things out and then God will help me. The truth is, God helps those who help themselves does not reflect what the Bible teaches. It's a misquote. In fact, the Bible communicates pretty much the exact opposite principle. And so I did some research, I did some study this week, and I looked at examples in the scripture, and there are many of them, when God helped men and God helped women, and I want to show you some patterns that I found in those cases, okay? Are you ready for it? So I'm going to show you some patterns that I found when God was helping people. Here's the first one. God helps those who are utterly helpless. God helps those who are utterly helpless. Romans 3.11 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is not even one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. So the Bible describes every human as helpless. Everyone is a sinner. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one, not even one, in all of history, in all of future, not one person who has been perfect. And we are utterly unable to find true spiritual peace through our own efforts. Listen, you will never be smart enough You'll never be talented enough. You'll never be perfect enough. You'll never be rich enough. You will never be enough to be able to rescue yourself from your greatest need, which is the fact that we're sinners and we deserve death. It is just not something we can take care of ourselves. We're out of luck. If it was up to us, we would all screw it up. But thankfully, God helps us. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death is the solution to the problem of sin and death that we can't solve on our own. It's tempting to think that we might be able to help ourselves out of this predicament, but the Bible clearly teaches that there is nothing we can do on our own to find salvation. Nothing. God helps those who are utterly helpless. And you're with me. We're in the utterly helpless club together. We, we can't do this on our own. Our help comes from God. And it happens when we turn our lives over to him in faith, trusting in the work of Christ on the cross. This isn't something we work for. And there's certainly nothing we can do to change it about ourselves to make us worthy of God's help. Instead, we are saved by the passionate, undeserved love of God. It's his gift to us. And I don't know about you, but I never want to forget that. I never want to forget that indescribable gift. Every breath that I have, whether God gives me 40 or more years to live or 50 or, or 60 more years to live, that every day of my life, I could remember that God helped me when it was, I was impossible to help myself. That I was in trouble, I was flailing, I was dying, there was no way out, but God himself reached down and gave me the gift of redemption. I never want to forgive that. forget that. I want to live my life with that lens of understanding every minute of my life. In fact, right now, let's just stop for a minute, everything we're doing, and let's just thank Jesus for the gift of redemption. Just give God some thanks right now. God, we thank you, Jesus. You did it for us. 
All right, number two. Now this is really profound. Are you ready? God helps those who ask him. God helps those who ask him. Revelation 3.20 says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I love this verse because I don't know about you, but when I think about prayer, I often think about me initiating, me sit, putting, putting Jesus' address in my GPS, right? Driving there, finding the house, walking up to the door, knocking on it, hoping, hoping I'm not interrupting him or, 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 or trying to get you know, him at a bad time. And I'm up there knocking on the door, hoping he'll answer. And then when he gets to the door, I'm expressing, well, I need this or there's something in my life. If you don't mind, if you have a minute, will you deal with it? And Revelation 3.20 paints this whole different picture. It says that Jesus is knocking on your door. That he wants to help you so much that he isn't waiting for you to help yourself. He isn't even waiting for you to find his house and knock on his door. He is standing at your front door. He's knocking on your door, hoping that you will come and stop your busy life and all the things you're worried about and answer the door so that you can have relationship with him. He is chasing after you. He knows your address. He is knocking on your door. He's paying attention to you and he knows you better than you will ever know yourself. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is Psalm 116, 12, and it says this, because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. God bends down to listen. He, he bends down from heaven to listen to me. He bends down from heaven to listen to you. You're not chasing after him, hoping you get a minute. He's knocking at your door hoping that you just come to your own door and tell him what you need. There are four Psalms that can guide our prayers to ask God for help. And I wanted to do this together today. If you got this uh, sermon insert when you came in, it's on a pink piece of paper, or if you didn't, you can look at it up on the screen, but you might wanna get your hand out right now. We're just gonna, we're gonna actively participate. We're gonna, we're gonna do this together. I wanna show you just right here in the middle of my sermon, a real life example of how you can ask God for help in prayer. So it, it's an acronym that spells help. It starts with the letter H from Psalm 86.1 that says, hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. So the first step is to just let God know that you need him and that you want his help. And the fact that you realize that you need help in a certain situation. You aren't gonna drive around the city not asking for directions anymore. <clears throat> If you're with your husband, you can, you know, elbow him. God, I need help. And so just right now, you can say it out loud. You can write it down. You can say it quietly, just in your mind. Would you just ask the Lord right now? Say, just acknowledge him. God, I need help. I need help. the next one is E. Establish my steps in your word. That comes from Psalm 119, 133. In this way, we ask God for his direction. We ask God for his strength to stand firm in his promises. We ask God to show us the steps 
God, I need help knowing what to do. Maybe you don't have a specific circumstance you're thinking of, but you just need help living your life every day, going to the job you're at, loving the people in your life, uh, living your life for God. So right now, uh, just take a minute and just say, God, I need your direction. I need your strength. Would you order my steps? Go ahead and do that right now. is let your compassion quickly meet our needs. This comes from Psalm 79, eight. And so this is the moment where you ask God to meet the needs in your life that you are asking help for. Maybe it's pain, maybe it's heartache, maybe it's a concern or a frustration. Maybe it's something joyful that's coming in your life and you're, and you're just trying to ask God to meet your needs, that you're gonna put your hope in him. Let your compassion come quickly, meet our needs. Go ahead and just ask God for those things on your heart, your specific heart. because I take refuge in you. That comes from Psalm 16, one. Maybe it's spiritual protection today. Maybe it's physical protection, but whatever you need, you can come to God and say, God, be my protector, be my provider, protect my body, protect my mind, protect my emotions, protect uh, my, my decisions. Listen, he knows all that we need and he has the resources to meet that need. So just right now, ask God for protection. us to pray for help when we need it. And he gives help generously. He wants to help you. God helps those who ask him. I want to challenge you this week to take that with you. Take those words with you this week. And at least one time before next Sunday, sit before the Lord and do that again. Ask for help as the Psalms lay it out. Thirdly, in scripture, we read God helps those who are poor in spirit. God helps those who are poor in spirit. These are Jesus's words in the book of Matthew, and he's teaching crowds of people who have come to hear him. And he goes up on a mountain, and he's surrounded by people, crowds of people. There's his disciples in the first circle, and then there's all these crowds of people. And he gives a really famous sermon uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And inside that sermon, he offers a list called the Beatitudes. And he basically says, these are assurances, these are promises that if you are part of God's kingdom, you can count on these things. And so Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I won't make you raise your hand uh, so you don't embarrass yourself, but I don't know about you, but when I've read that scripture before, I've been puzzled. 
What does that mean, poor in spirit? It kind of sounds like spiritually weak. Aren't we supposed to be strong? Aren't we supposed to be in prayer and Bible study and know the word and, and be strong in the word? What does poor in spirit mean? Well, I'm going to tell you here in a minute, but one of the words in this verse that will help us understand what poor in spirit means is the word blessed. And the Greek word translated blessed in these passages is makarios, which means to be fully satisfied. And it refers to those receiving God's favor regardless of circumstances. Blessed actually in short means approved by God. So if someone asks you during your week, how are you? You know what you could say? Blessed, <laughs> approved by God. Uh, how, how's your day going? Blessed, approved by God. What's going on in your house? How's it going there? Blessed. What's going on with your business? Blessed. I am approved by God. Isn't that good? You got to start using that word more. I'm blessed today. I'm approved by God. So the scripture says, who's blessed? Who's approved by God? According to this verse, it says, those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt before God. It's a sense of powerlessness. It's a sense of dependency. It means spiritually bankrupt before God. So what this beatitude means is you are blessed. You get God's stamp of approval when you realize how much help you actually need. When you realize how much help you actually need, you are blessed. You get God's stamp of approval. Blessed are the people who are keenly aware of their inadequacies. <laughs> Blessed are the people who can tell you their failures and their helplessness. Blessed are the people who feel unworthy and empty. Blessed are the people who don't try to hide under this cloak of self-sufficiency. I'm doing good. Everything's great. Everything's fine. I'm strong. I've got it all put together. But blessed are those who are honest about them and grieved and driven to the grace of God. That's what that means. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There are a lot of godly examples in the scripture, people who modeled to us being poor in spirit. Abraham, uh, in dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah, he says uh, in verse 27, now that I have been as bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Abraham, he was like a hero of the faith in scripture, but he describes himself as I'm dust and ashes, I'm nothing. Jacob, he returns to the promised land after spending 20 years in exile. He wrestled with God in prayer. And in Genesis 32, 10, this is what he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. After all of Jacob's success with the Lord, he says, look, I'm unworthy of your kindness. I'm unworthy of your faithfulness to me. The last example is Moses when God came to him with a mission, God gave Moses this mission to lead his people out of Israel. And he says in Exodus 3.11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? In the book of Numbers, uh, literally Moses is described as the most humble man who ever lived and ever will live. And these amazing biblical heroes, do you know why they were so famous in, in the word of God? Not because they were strong and had all the answers. 
Not because they knew uh, the strategy to everything. Not because they always looked perfect on the outside. Not because they never made a mistake. They were biblical heroes because they knew their own inadequacies and they leaned hard into God. And even the way that God is describing these people to us is on purpose to show us that God does not choose to use the people who have their whole lives together. He chooses to use people who understand their inadequacies and their failures and lean hard after God's heart. Let me ask you this question. How well do you know your weaknesses? What do you do with them? How do you treat them? Do you ignore them and bury them and hide them and hope that no one sees them? Do you joke about them to cope? Do you work furiously to try to change them? Some people spend their whole lives just trying to straighten out their weaknesses. What do you do with your spiritual bankruptcy? What do you do with your weaknesses? It's interesting because God talks about this in the scripture in 2 Corinthians. He says, look, God delights to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our rope. God delights to expose our deficiency because then his sufficiency shows. God delights to show our inefficiency, our deficiency, because then his sufficiency might show 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is sufficient for you. Grace is the favor and love of God in action. It means that he loves you and he's pleased by you. As I was preparing for my message this morning, I, I felt God say to me that there's some of us in this room today and God wants to tell you this, that his love is enough for you. His love is enough for you. It's enough. His love is enough for you. Verse nine says that that grace in that passage is for right now, not for someday in the future, not for the past, but right now in this moment, his grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. It's enough. We don't have to try to figure out how to get better. We don't have to try to make all our weaknesses go away. We don't have to do all the things to try to prove ourselves to someone else or, or even to our own selves. He says, look, I'm enough. Like my grace is enough. I think we often get it wrong when we think that real Christian maturity is when we come to a place where we are somewhat independent of God. You know, as parents, that's your whole goal, right? In fact, sometimes uh, when I'm kind of waiting hand and foot on my children, Joel will yell over to me, you want them to live in the basement their whole life? 
Because the point of, of being parents is, is we help them. Okay, this is how you do things. This is how you're independent because someday you're gonna go in your home and you're gonna serve your kids and then they're gonna teach a generation. And, and that's the point of, of maturity in the natural is to say, look, every every time I'm gonna teach you how to be more independent of me. But this idea in the, in the supernatural, this idea with God is completely different. In fact, the idea that someday we should have our act so together that we don't need to rely on God so much day to day and moment by moment is false. In fact, that's not Christian maturity at all. That's not the goal. The goal is that every day, every hour, every year of your life, you get more dependent on God that by the time that you have served God for 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and 40 years, you can't even take a breath without him. You can't even say a word without him. There's nothing you can do without him. You can't make a decision. You, you don't even know what to do. In fact, I think the illusion of strength and the illusion of independence actually leaves us in a weaker place. If you're here this morning and you feel like you can't take another step unless God helps you, I wanna tell you something. You are right where you need to be. That's exactly where God wants you. You can't speak another word until he tells you what to do. You, you can't live another day unless God helps you. God is saying, look, that is not weakness. The world says it's embarrassing to be needy. But God tells us, listen, when you're weak, I'm strong. In your worst parts, in the things you don't know how to do, that's when I show up best. God helps those who are dependent on him, fiercely dependent. God, show us how to live our lives, but not in a way that would be independent of God so we could figure it out on our own, but in a way that would make us so dependent on God and so dependent on the Holy Spirit that we can't even move, we can't even breathe, we can't even talk, we can't even decide what to do unless God helps us. Let me end with this. The Lord gave me a word picture this week of, a, of two boats, and I've been on I've been on both of these kind of boats, maybe you have too, a sailboat and a rowboat. And imagine that both of these boats set out to cross the lake at the same time, and the rowboat gets, gets off to a quick start because the pilot is furiously rowing, working really hard, trying to aggressively just work to get in the lead, and, and the rowboat gets going really fast, and, and the rower is sweating because he's working so hard, and, and he's so proud of how fast he got off the dock. And the sailboat is moving much slower off the dock because it has to wait for the wind. And so it's just kind of uh, drifting, you know, kind of waiting, not watching as the rowboat gets ahead of them. But soon the wind begins to blow steadily and the sailboat moves rapidly past the rowboat. And no matter how hard the rower works, the rower is just watching the sailboat go farther and faster and over the horizon. And, and then maybe at one point, even the rower just gives up because there's no way the rowboat will ever catch the sailboat. And the Lord said to me that this is a powerful and accurate word picture of our lives as Christ followers. Listen, the wind is the Holy Spirit. And when we try to live life on our own, we're just rowing the boat. We're rowing the boat as hard as we can. And maybe we're getting a little bit somewhere, but, but we aren't getting very far. But when we wait on the wind, 
when we're led and pushed by the Holy Spirit, we get further faster and we arrive less tired. We arrive less worn out. We get to the place that God wants us to go faster and less worn out. I wanna say this morning as a former member of the Try Harder Club, I can tell you that the wind of God's spirit is worth the wait. The wind of God's spirit is worth the wait because once we can be led by the Holy Spirit and caught up our whole lives in him and dependent upon whether the wind blows or the wind stops or how fast the wind goes or how slow it goes, when it's not on us anymore, when our rowing quits and we just sit in the sailboat and just ask God to take us, our lives go in the direction and at the pace at which God desires. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. Would you stand? We're gonna end today. We're gonna sing this song. This song just simply says, God, I need you more. More than yesterday, more than I can express in words, more than the air I breathe, more than anything. God, I just need you more. I need your help. I, need, I can't do anything on my own. I'll mess it up. I need your help. I need you more. And I wanna invite you, if you would like prayer, uh, there'll be some people at these prayer tables to my right and to my left. They would love to pray with you. Maybe you just wanna come down and fill this altar space and just say, God, I need you. I'm thankful for your redemption. There's nothing I can do without you. God, I haven't served you too long to remember I need you. I'm not too old to remember I need you. I, I haven't figured everything else out in my life enough to know I need you. God, I need you. I need you more than I've ever needed you. I'm so dependent on you. There's nothing I can do without you. And let's just humbly and hungry come before, before God and tell him, look, God, we need your help. Look, we are dependent on you. Anything we thought we could do on our own, we are sadly mistaken and ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us. So just sing this out together. We need you.
We can't even do the normal things, the normal comings and goings without your spirit. And so we pray, God, that we could get into the sailboat, that we could trust the wind. God, help us stop trying so hard and start resting in who you are. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that when I was utterly hopeless, utterly helpless, God, you helped us. Thank you for each of us, Lord God, who couldn't find our way out of a dark room, but God, you did it for us. Lord, we never want to forget. We never want to stop thanking you for that gift. Jesus, I pray a blessing over each person in this room, that they would be blessed, that they would be approved by God, dependent upon you and trusting you. God, we need you more, more than yesterday more than last year, more than the year before, God. We need you now more than ever. That statement will remain true every moment of our lives. So God, we trust you with it. Would you do what only you can do? And it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series, videos, and podcasts at eeriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.